Amen. God bless you as you give. Okay, we're going to continue this series. We're on week number three of God is Real, and uh, we've done two weeks. The first week was about the idea that God is the creator, and the second week was uh, on the idea, well, is God angry and distant, or is God personal and loving, okay? And both those messages you can hear online. And today, we're going to go a little bit deeper and talk about the idea, does God really care about my life? about my individual life? Is he really interested in the things that interest me? Does God really care about me personally? And again, like last week, some of you are thinking, well, obviously he does. Uh, I mean, that's kind of an elementary question. But again, like last week, I'm going to slow things down and get you to think about this a little bit. It's a very, very important question, uh, whether or not God cares for us individually because our lives deal with the here and now they deal with the material world and you know you think about your job a lot and you think about your family a lot and you think about your finances a lot and your relationships and all these things and probably the things that you thought about this week and the things that were really important to you you probably wonder well does God really care about those things I mean, does God care about the fact that I lost all this money? Or does God care about the fact that I had a fight with my spouse or with my my child or my father or my mother or whatever it is? Does God really care about those things? Isn't he more concerned with running the universe? And why would he care about those things in the life of little old me? And we often think that the things that are important to us are not necessarily important to God. Well, is that really true? Or does God really care about the details of our lives? And sometimes the problem is that we create God a little bit in our own image. Uh, There's a graphic that's going to come on the screen there. Our image of God is not always the same as the way that his image is revealed in the scripture. And sometimes this can be the problem. Uh, That little caption there says, I can make God say anything I want him to. And sometimes we create God in our image, and it's not necessarily who he is, doesn't necessarily reflect his nature, it's what we may want him to be. And sometimes this is where the problem lies. And even for people of faith, people who profess faith in this room, sometimes the way that we perceive God and the way that we perceive his heart is skewed, and it's skewed by the messages that we receive from the culture. And it's a bit, a bit foggy in our minds and a bit jumbled in our minds as to, well, what does God really care about? And ironically, some of these ideas that we have about God are like 2,000, 3,000 years old. And they come from some of the ancient philosophies that are floating around and have been floating around for a couple of thousands of years. So I want to take you back in time a little bit and look at the time when Jesus came into the world and what people thought who were not necessarily people of faith the ideas about God that were coming to them all right so I'm going to put some give you a little bit of a history lesson and put some put some stuff on the screen here and some pictures of some old old people and some apparently old ideas that aren't so old okay Plato and and Platonism this was the idea if you summarize what Plato was saying um, seek the highest good and liberate yourself from the material world. 
So the material world is where the problems are, and it's only a shadow of the real world, which is immaterial, and you need to seek the highest good and free yourself from the material world. I don't know if you hear messages like that today, and then if you, if you put God in there, it's, well, God isn't interested in the material world. He's interested in the spiritual world. So maybe he doesn't really care about my RRSP, uh, Platonism. Epicureanism, and you see this actually in the pages of the New Testament, and this was the idea, you are the product of time plus chance. Your life is a random happening, so you better enjoy it, you better live it up, because there's no real reason why you are here. Have you ever heard that before? Well, that's an idea that's very, very old. Uh, how about this one? Gnosticism, which has made its way into the modern, the modern era. Uh, people who follow uh, a cult like Scientology have a similar view as the Gnostics did back 2,000 years ago. And this idea was that you can be saved through kind of secret, esoteric knowledge, but certainly not by the physical world. The physical world is a problem. The material world that you live in is the cause of problems, so you can be saved through this kind of secret knowledge. Gnosis means knowledge, and this is the idea of Gnosticism. Uh, next, we have another philosophy there, uh, Stoicism. And this was the idea that, well, you can be happy uh, if you just follow reason and logic. And absolute reason and logic will give you happiness. Uh, we are watching as a family the old 1960s Star Trek series on Netflix. Have any of you watched this series before? You know, with William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy. And so we're watching this and we're finding it quite interesting to see how that television series has all kinds of social commentary, all kinds of religious commentary. Very interesting show to watch. Well, if you know Mr. Mr. Spock, you know the guy with the, with the pointy ears, well, he's logic and reason. He would make a good a good follower of Stoicism. You can be happy if you just follow logic and reason. Well, this kind of thing doesn't really lend itself to the idea that God cares about my personal life. He seems rather distant. Uh, what about cynicism? Have you heard this before? The height of all virtue is to abolish desire. Take away your desire and you will achieve virtue. We see this concept even in some of the Eastern religions. Desire is the cause of suffering. You need to remove desire from your life and you won't suffer. This has a little bit of cynicism in it. And then we have skepticism, which is, which is on a huge revival uh, these days. And this idea is all terms of judgment are relative. So they have no absolute standard by which you can judge everything. And so all terms are relative. Have you heard any of these ideas before? Well, you probably have, but you didn't know that they were coming from something that was around 2,000 years ago. Sometimes these ideas can color our picture of God. And if we allow that to happen, we won't be so persuaded that he actually cares about the details of our life and lives and the question is does he um, when we have Jesus coming into the world and I'm going to use a fancy term in the incarnation that means God became flesh 
when we have Jesus coming into the world, it is set against the backdrop of all these philosophies. So all these philosophies are telling the world of that time, this is kind of the idea of reality. This is kind of who God is. If there is a God, he's very impersonal at best. And enter in Jesus who comes into the world. Uh, a, a book of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. And the Word was God and the Word became flesh. This would have been a big shock to all of the philosophies that are floating around in that day. It flies in the face of all of those things. The idea that God actually became flesh and blood and lived a life as a human. This is a big shock. Now, to be sure, in, in a lot of different religious views, we see incarnations. Uh, we see God's becoming human rather frequently if we study religion. Um, the problem is that in Christianity, we have a rather bizarre reality in that the God who becomes flesh in the Bible can be seen, can be touched, and can be a, a, a verified, checked on. So you can look at the time and the circumstances and the people and the geography and the places and the culture and all these things, and all those things can be checked on. We do not see that in any of the other religious views that say that their gods became human. We don't see it. They, they talk about gods becoming human on clouds in the sky, but not in Bethlehem, not in Jerusalem, uh, not in the real world. And what we see in the Bible is striking in that God dares to become one of us in the real world. And when we look at the example of Jesus against the backdrop of all these ideas, wow, we see something staggering in that Jesus, he experiences humanity, but with full force. So the full force of being human from birth to death, we see depicted in the life of Jesus. So think about it. How was Jesus born? Was he born in the Ritz-Carlton Hotel? No, he's born in a, in a rather uh, poor little town of uh, perhaps 2,000 people at best um, 2,000 years ago in the dirt and placed in a, in a cow trough as a manger, a, a place where animals feed out of. Uh, this is how God enters into the world in a very, very rough uh, setting. The full force of being human, Jesus experiences. And when we read through the gospel story, what do we see? We see that Jesus cries. Jesus experiences the emotion of loss. Shortest sentence in the Bible, Jesus wept. When his friend Lazarus was dead, it says that he wept. Uh, Jesus got hungry. We see this several times in the gospel story. Jesus got tired. Jesus even got angry. And some of you, you say, well, that's impossible. Anger is sin. Well, no, the Bible says be angry and not sin. It doesn't say anger is sin. And we know that Jesus got angry. He went into the temple courts and, and in some frustration, turned the tables over and drove the people out. Jesus experienced that. He experienced anger. Agony. 
when he had to face the cross, there was an agony that he felt as he had to walk into a Roman crucifixion. We know that Jesus was tempted. Uh, The famous story of Jesus out there in the wilderness with the serpent tempting him and all that. And ultimately he faces death, but a brutal death, a brutal, horrific death. The full force of the human experience, Jesus tastes all of it. Um, Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 to 18 tries to put it this way. Since the children have flesh and blood, you're the children in the passage, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. He too shared in their humanity. He shared in the human experience ultimately to defeat death itself and defeat the devil himself and to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants for this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered. There it is again. When he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Does God care for your individual life? Well, you bet he does. I mean, that is a, that is a powerful passage there, that even death itself is defeated through the Lord Jesus ultimately. Hebrews chapter 4 would put it this way. For we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus being referenced there, who is unable to empathize, or sorry, empathize, I'm sorry, I'm tripping over my words, with our weaknesses, to to express empathy with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way. Wow, Can can you imagine this idea? That Jesus has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. He has tasted of the full human experience in every single way. And this idea of the incarnation then means that God really cares about our lives. That he really does have an interest in the here and now and in where you live and in your relationships and in your day-to-day life and in the way that you handle everything. God has an intense interest in this and he has demonstrated this by becoming one of us and living the full human experience even to the extremes of being uh, crucified on a Roman cross. What does it mean for us today? Well, because God really does care about our lives, we can do several things. Uh, Continuing in in Hebrews in verse 16 there of chapter 4, we can approach the throne of grace, he says there, with confidence. So let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Some people, when when they approach God, it's in sheer terror. But this says you can approach God not in terror, but with confidence, with an assurance so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
you can go to God with confidence. You can go to God with assurance to receive what you need when you need it. And this is because uh, God has become uh, one of us. First Peter chapter 5 would phrase it this way. Very simple passage. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. What are you anxious about? What anxiety do you have? Do you think God doesn't care about you? Well, it says clearly that he does. He wants to know what you're anxious about. He wants to know the, the exam in school that you're going to face. I heard a story uh, this week on the radio of a, of a university professor that challenged uh, one of their students, I believe it was a male professor, and he challenged uh, one of his students, a, a young woman, a Muslim woman who had a, a hijab on, and it was covering her ears, and he wanted the woman to remove it so that he could see if there was anything in her ears to, to, so that she could cheat. Uh, that would, a radio of some sort that would radio her the answers. And it made the news this story because of, you know, religious accommodation in Quebec and all of this. What right does he have to ask this young woman to remove uh, this garment? And he may face suspension and all of this. But the lady, because they're, they're worried about cheating. And they're worried about, uh, these are midterm exams for university students. Well, well, what are you anxious about? What anxieties do you have? Do you not think that God cares? He does. He wants you to take those cares and to cast them upon him. Some people say, well, I want to pray, but I have nothing to pray about. Wow. Do you have any anxiety? Pray about it. <laughs> take it and give it to God. And if that's what your prayer life is, well, start there. Say, God, this and this and this is, is blowing my mind. I cannot take this pressure. Well, good. God wants you to cast it upon, uh, cast that anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Now, here's the problem. We think that God's priorities uh, are somehow different than ours. And at times, that can be true. A uh, famous passage of Scripture there in Matthew chapter 6 and verses 25 to 34. You've probably heard this regardless of whatever religious background you come from. Listen to it closely. You're probably going to read it in a different way now. Okay, Matthew 6 verses 25 to 34. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more important than food? And the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, he says. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father, what does he do? He feeds those birds. And aren't you more valuable, Jesus says, than birds? Uh, can any of you by worrying... Can you add a single hour to your life? So for some, this is, oh, well, so uh, God doesn't care about these things. Well, hold on. And why do you worry about clothes? Uh, see how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor. They do not spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor, that's old King Solomon from the Old Testament, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? 
you of little faith. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans, word for the unbelieving world back then, the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. He is not saying that you don't need them or that he doesn't care about them. He knows that you need these things. He knows that we need these things. He lived in the material, real world just like we did. And he knows we need these things, but he does not want us running after them. They're not to be the first priority that rules and that runs our lives. All of these things... It's a priority system. Your father knows that you need them, but here's what you've got to do first. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's the priority that I want for your life, God is saying. It's not that all these things don't matter to me. It's not that I don't care about these things. I know that you need them, but you've got to look at the priority here. I want you to seek me and what I'm doing in this world, and I want you to seek my righteousness, God is saying. And then all these things you're going to get. And we, he doesn't want us running after them as if they're the first priority in life, but it doesn't mean he doesn't care about them. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen and amen. So what do you do? You say, well, God, how do I seek first your kingdom and your righteousness? Well, God is doing something in this world. He is doing something in your own individual life. This is what he wants you to prioritize. God, what are you doing in my life? What are you doing in the lives of people that I interact with? And how do I become more and more righteous in my character? This is the priority that God wants people to focus on. And then they will find all those other things that we sometimes put ahead, they all tend to fall into place. Not without, not without difficulty. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I mean, amazing, sober words from Jesus I mean, some of you, you, you don't even want to think about tomorrow because of all the things that you have to do. Good. Tomorrow has enough worry on its own. Believe me, when you start a church out of nothing, you take it day by day. You take it hour by hour. And some of you, you're facing so much pressure in life, running after things, and those things aren't bad things. But what about what God wants to do in your life what about what God wants to do in the lives of people around you? Ah, you seek that first and the rest is going to come. I'd invite you to stand with me and we're just going to, to take a moment to pray together and we'll close the, the service in prayer. Don, if you could come to the keyboard if you're in the room and just play softly while we have a couple of moments together. It's Thanksgiving weekend and many of you, you spend time with friends, you spend time with family and you try to take a pause and take a, take a breath a little bit before the busyness of another week. Probably many of you don't have to work on the Monday. Uh, but I just want to take a moment with you 
just, just to take time to shift around priorities a little bit. And maybe you're the one who's running after all these things. And you say, I just feel like I'm running and I can't run anymore. And maybe you just need to pause and say, well, God, what is it that you want to do in my life? What is it that you want to do in the lives of people around me? Understand that God cares about all those things, but he cares about what's going on in your heart even more, even more. So, Father, we agree together and we thank you again. We thank you again, Lord, that you you came into this world. uh, You experienced everything with full force that we do. And God, uh, we don't want our our ideas about you to be messed up and to be clouded by the philosophies that still seem to linger around in this world and tell us things about you that aren't true. Uh, But God, we know that we have bills to pay. Uh, We know that we have people that we have to meet. We know that we have things that have to be done. We, We think about our future. We think about the things of this world so often. So God, help us to not lose sight of those things, but to prioritize on what you want to do in us. God, I pray for the one who's in the room today, and Lord, there's such tension in a particular relationship that they're having. And Lord, it's so stressful. May we cast our cares upon you for you care for us. I pray for the one who's going to have a conversation this week with somebody. It's going to be a very, very difficult conversation. Lord, we cast our cares upon you. I pray for the ones in this room who are struggling financially. And God, how are we going to pay the rent? How are we going to pay that mortgage? How are we going to pay that bill? Lord, we cast our cares upon you for you care for us, for the ones who are here and there's there's hurt maybe of a physical side or an emotional side. Lord, we cast our cares upon you for you love us and you care for us. We come to you in confidence. We come to you in boldness. Give us grace. Give us mercy in our time of need. We do it with thanksgiving, God, and we praise you today. And everyone said, amen. Amen. I don't know what time it is. Wow, we're finishing really early, so you can feel free to hang around and talk with one another. There's plenty of coffee out in the corridor. God bless you. Enjoy your Thanksgiving weekend. We will see you next Saturday. Uh, By the way, those of you who attend uh, Joseph's group on Sunday, we're going to postpone it and pick it up again next week in lieu of the holiday. God bless you. Have a great day. Don't forget to pick up your kids next door. They like it. Maybe you can go in and look at them and let them play a little bit. We'll give them a few more minutes. Enjoy your weekend.